Well, good morning. Always a joy to see uh, new faces. Um, definitely excited for afterwards. Uh, fellowship downstairs, it's always a joy to gather and get to know each other and fellowship. Well, today we're going to return in our series in Second Peter. And so far we discussed how faith was granted and how faith needs to be supplied. This morning, our focus is going to be on making sure our faith is certain. For some of us in this church building, this will be the most important message you ever hear. And maybe you've been coming to the Bible church for years, and you think you're saved. Are you sure? We're, you, we're here called to make sure in the Second Peter. And so, for others that they know they are saved, this message will be one of great encouragement. But it should make us reflect and examine ourselves how God has been working in our lives. And so we're going to see uh, three key elements here. Two warnings, two wins, and two ways. And so why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Second Peter today, verses 8 to 11. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. The Word of God says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Amen. That is the word of God. You may be seated. Let us pray here as we get into our text. Oh, Lord. We thank you for bringing us here where we get to worship you, sing praises, read songs, hear from you through the Bible. You revealed yourself through your word, and it's refreshing, it is convicting, it's encouraging. And so, Lord, uh, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, we pray that this would be a, a sermon, a message that will convict their hearts. Lord, and for, thus, for those of us that are, that are saved, may this refresh us, may this convict us as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the worst things you can find out about a friend is that they're fake, right? They're living a double life. They're not the person they said they were. Sadly, many professing Christians do this exact thing, right? They look clean on the outside, but on the inside, they're dirty. They have not truly been transformed by God's grace. And, and one way of spotting a false convert is knowing what they love, right? Paul told Timothy that Demas had deserted him. And why was that? Paul says that he loved this present world. He was in love with life on this earth. And he tried the Christian life, and it wasn't satisfying. Why? Because he wasn't a Christian. Only true believers are satisfied with Christ when all the trials come their way. Peter, during a great time of suffering in the early church, wants to make sure that those he is writing to are true converts. 
The false teachers are coming. Persecution is on the way. The return of Christ is soon. And so we need to make sure we are ready. We need to make sure our faith is certain. Now, if only Peter would have given us some type of checklist to observe if our faith was real. Well, actually, he does. Uh, He gives us a checklist here in 2 Peter, verse 8. Now, this is going to be one of three checklists that we're going to go through. I don't know if you like checklists, but, you know, maybe when you start your day, you write, this is what I got to do. It's very productive. But here, this is so important. This is way more important. So let's look at 2 Peter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. And so what qualities is Peter talking about? Remember, the seven virtues that we're called to supply to our faith, right? Those verses 5 to 7. What are those? Love, brotherly kindness, godliness, perseverance, self-control, knowledge, and moral excellence. And so let's examine this checklist. Maybe if you write notes, you have, you know, this uh, seven virtues. Here's the checklist. Maybe write a little box there. Get, get ready. Let's see if we could check some off here. Let's examine ourselves. Are we growing in love? In a love that desires the highest good of the one loved, which shows itself in sacrificial action for that person's good. Right? Love. Are we growing in brotherly kindness? This brotherly love implies a personal warmth, an affection, a type of love that bears the burdens of others and promotes unity in the body of Christ. Another check there. Are we growing in godliness, in an attitude of reverence that seeks to please God in all things? If we're godly, we would have this practical awareness of God in every aspect of our lives, and we would fear him. Another check there. What about, are we growing in perseverance? Do we have that attitude of mind which is unmoved by difficulty and distress, the ability to stand under a heavy load, we're able to endure the opposition the world throws at us and the enticement of our own flesh. Another check there. Are we growing in self-control? We say no to the flesh repeatedly and we walk by the Spirit. We look to do God's will. Check. Are we growing in knowledge? that practical wisdom to discern between right and wrong. We seek to do God's will even when it hurts. Another check. And lastly, are we growing in moral excellence? This describes God's quality of goodness and generosity towards others. Are we seeking to be like Christ and reflecting his beauty to others? Check. So how did you do? How did you do? Did you check them all off your list? Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. You might be thinking, well, I'm good. I'm saved by works. Hold up. That's not what the checklist is for. We know that we are saved by grace alone. I just loved uh, communion this morning at 10 o'clock. We we heard the gospel. and, and, And when Stephen came up here to pray, we were hearing the gospel. We were reminded we're saved by grace alone. It's a gift of God. Without Christ, we wouldn't be able to check anything off the list. And so Christ had to die for us to be saved. It's because of his death that we can grow in any of these virtues. And so this checklist is not for you to brag or to bring yourself praise. This checklist is here because Peter cares about your salvation. He wants you to make sure of your eternal state. He wants to make sure your faith is certain. Because if it's not, we have a big issue. This right here, this Grocery, this is not a grocery list. This is not a car maintenance. All right, I got the oil. I got everything ready in my car list. No, 
This is about eternity. All right? And so we're going to go through 2 Peter here. And I want you to notice a couple things. The, the first two things I want you to notice is the benefits or the wins Peter gives us if we are increasing in these virtues. And so look at the text again in 2 Peter 2, verse 8, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you, here, here it is, neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so these are the two benefits, the two wins, neither useless nor unfruitful. And so I need to briefly remind you of the importance of this true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Knowledge here is referring to our relationship with God. Do you know God? Peter used the same word. Look at verses 2 to 3 here in 2 Peter. He uses that same word, knowledge. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine nature, uh, power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through, there it is, the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. All right, so knowledge is key here. If you remember, uh, we went over this a couple months ago. We learned that having a deeper knowledge of the person of Christ is the surest safeguard against false doctrine. It's because of knowing Jesus that we have been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness, right? We can serve God because he has granted us that ability to. But not everyone has the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? There are going to be some that say, Jesus, you are Lord, Lord, right? They're going to say, didn't we do all these miracles, right? Prophesize in your name. And what's Jesus going to say to them? I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. But true believers, on the contrast, are not workers of lawlessness. They have a different type of work, and their work is not useless or unfruitful. And so let's talk about the first benefit or win here of growing in the seven virtues in our faith, and that is our relationship with God will not be useless. So useless, that can be translated as idle or lazy, Right? A faith that is idle or lazy is not a real faith. We, today, uh, we turned uh, in our call to worship to James chapter 2. Right there, James is talking about faith without works is useless. It is empty. It is in vain. It is dead. James also said, can that faith save such a person? A faith that doesn't care for others? Absolutely not. But if we are growing in our faith, we observe that our faith is increasing or abounding in love, brotherly kindness, uh, you know, godliness, you know, the list goes on there. You best believe it. Our faith is not useless. Our faith is alive. It is a faith that works. It is useful. It is active. And it's also a faith that is fruitful. That is the second benefit or win of growing in the seven virtues. Rather than having a faith that is unproductive or unfruitful, we have a faith that engages in good deeds for others. If you know Ephesians 2.10, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we will walk in them. And so we care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. Uh, If our brother or sister is without clothing or in need, we give them what they need, right? We supply, we step up and help. We got two examples in the book of James of of people that were having a living faith. Remember Abraham? What did he do? He was willing to lay it down, his own son Isaac. And so he puts God's will before his own family. Like Rahab, 
uh, we see that she is willing to protect God's people before. Um, we, we see that there's the, the patriarch and there's the prostitute, and, and we have different types of people. We have the male and the female, and we see that in her case, she's going to go against her own society and culture that she was brought up in. And so she's willing to follow God no matter what. And so whoever you are, uh, whether you identify a little bit more with Abraham, maybe uh, you know, a little more uh, well-off, or maybe Rahab, who everyone looks at like, who are you? God has called us all by the same grace. And so a faith that is growing is useful and fruitful. Those are the two wins there. But what about those that are, who, that are not growing in faith? Peter shares two concerns or two warnings in verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. It says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. You see, you either possess a faith that works or a faith that doesn't. For those who have a faith that isn't real, they are blind or short-sighted. That is the first concern or warning from Peter. In other words, they do not see the truth in Christ. Uh, maybe you met an unbeliever and you've told them the gospel year after year and they continue to reject it. They reject it, they reject it, they are blind. The truth is right in front of them and they are not willing to accept it. We think of Pharisees who saw the miracles and, and experienced uh, the love of Christ and yet they want to kill him, they want to murder him. And so these people do not understand the gospel. Because of this, they do not love. They do not show brotherly kindness. They are not godly and so on, right, with that list. They can't check anything off the list. They are not able to do it because they do not have the Spirit of God. They are like blind guides. I don't know if you ever uh, thought about that illustration or analogy with a blind guide. Uh, if you don't know where you're going and you're telling other people, I think it's this way, and they're falling off a cliff, wow. You're doing a disservice there. And that is what people that aren't growing in their faith are. They're blind guides. They're like the Pharisees. Now the next concern we see here is another warning from Peter. Look back in verse 9. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. It's more of an explanation of the first one. Those that are not growing in the faith have forgotten the gospel. Right? Those who are not... Um, that are lacking in these qualities, they have forgotten of the purification of their former sins. In other words, they do not appreciate the gospel. So the first one we have, they don't believe the gospel. And the second one is they don't even appreciate the gospel. It's like hearing something you've heard a thousand times. Uh, maybe you young folk can relate when, you're, uh, when your uh, mom or someone tells you, clean up your bedroom. Or maybe uh, for your spouse, throw out the trash. And you hear it time and time over and over again. I've heard it before. I've heard it before. But we don't do it. What is going on there? We are not appreciating the hard work our parents have done for us. We are not appreciating all the work our spouse is doing for us. And so here we have someone who, to them, the gospel is just noise. They just hear it. Okay. It, it's like they heard of the sacrifice of Christ, that purification or cleansing for their many sins that they committed in the past, is they're offered this sacrifice, this precious cleansing, this forgiveness of sins, yet they don't care. Now, purification, I think, is going to be really key for us. So turn to Hebrews chapter 1. 
Hebrews chapter 1, a couple books to your left. Talking about purification or cleansing of your sins. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. There's some who don't believe in the deity of Christ. Just read Hebrews 1. Look at verse 3, though. And he, Christ, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he, Christ, had made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. It's Christ who makes purification for sins, right? Purification is so key for us to understand. We need to be clean before a holy God. However, we know that our good works are like filthy rags in the sight of God, right? According to Isaiah. We can never make ourselves clean. And if we know about the purification process in the Old Testament, I believe it can help us get the big picture. In the book of Hebrews, we get a nice summary of this process or this purification we see If you look at Hebrews 9, chapter 1, there we observe how the high priest of the first covenant points to Christ, right? This high priest is a representative of God's people. He offers sacrifices for his sins and the people's sins, right? Those sacrifices were animals. We get a a small picture of that when Adam and Eve first sinned and, and God gives them a covering, right? He had to kill the first animal. So the gospel goes way back. It starts in the garden. Um... And so we see here in the book of Hebrews uh, just what the process was. The high priest had to offer sacrifices, but Christ was the greater high priest who never sinned, and he was actually able to enter the real holies of holies uh, by the sacrifice of himself. And so Hebrews 9.22 tells us that according to law, all things are cleansed with blood, And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, some of you are thinking, blood, what's going on here? Why do we need blood? Remember, uh, the life is in the blood. It points to death. It points to death. And the wages of sin is death. Okay, so death was required. Someone had to die. But guess what? We're not perfect. Our, Our sacrifice is not acceptable in the eyes of God. But there is one that is perfect. There is one that died in our place, and he was accepted. We know because he resurrected three days later. And so there has to be a shedding of blood, or there is no forgiveness. And so we see there again, cleansing is required to be forgiven. We need to be clean. We need to be cleansed. We see in verse 26 of Hebrews 9, The author of Hebrews tells us that Christ has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Given this truth that Christ died for us, we can be clean. And in Hebrews 10, verse 22, what does, after after this beautiful truth, after presenting the gospel, what does he say? Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And so we're clean now because of Christ. Uh, In one of our uh, earlier Wednesday studies, um, I mentioned this about imputation uh, this past Wednesday, and how, okay, so we're clean, that's it, we're good, you know, we don't have to live for Christ. Our robes get dirty again? Yes, they, they can get dirty. But the point that imputation teaches is that Christ 
put on his righteousness on you, and he took on your filthy rags on himself and, and pays the penalty, pays the fine for us. So now we are seen as holy and blameless in his sight. We're seen with these white robes, completely forgiven. But then we go through this process, so we're justified. Then we go through this process of sanctification. And yes, if you read in First uh, John, you can get dirty. Your robe, your precious, beautiful white robe can get dirty. The righteousness of Christ reflecting that, right? But you can confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you go through this process of sanctification, and then at the end, glorification, you will never be able to sin. You will be uh, like Christ. And so um, it's so important that we see ourselves, yes, as clean, but daily needing cleansing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, in uh, Hebrews 24, what does he say there? Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and encourage one another. So you've been forgiven, you've been cleansed, you know Christ, but that's not the end of the story. We ought to do good works. We ought to love one another. And because we are clean, we seek to tell others of the one who made us clean. So we observe this same truth in Titus 2, verse 14. So why don't you go to Titus? So there's another book to your left here. Uh, got Timothy's and then we got Titus. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 14. We're, we're meditating on this concept of purification. It's way more important than cleaning the car. This is cleaning your soul. So look at Titus 2, verse 14. talking about Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us of every lawless deed. All those sins we've committed, we broke God's law. And what? To purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. All right? There it is again, purification. Purify us for his own possession. And so we are purified indeed by the death of Christ. And so we ought to live to bring him glory bring him praise. But what if we aren't living for him? What if we aren't doing the good deeds? What are we really saying? Thanks, Jesus, for dying for me, but I would rather live my own life the way I want to. Yeah, I heard the good news before. Yeah, it's good, but you know what? I'm good. This person clearly doesn't have a heart change. They heard the gospel. It didn't change them. They're not thankful for what Christ did for them on the cross. Forgiveness is available now through the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, but they don't live in that reality. Rather, they show they've never truly repented of their sins. They haven't been transformed. They abuse the grace of God. And so what that, that should tell us that there's two types of people in the church. There's only two types, right? You're either in one camp. Number one, you're either a fruit-bearing Christian or number two, you're a false blind convert. Which one are you? Think about it for a moment. There is, this is way more important than the football game in a couple of hours. Okay, Which one are you? Fruit-bearing Christian or a false blind convert? Let's continue in verse 10. Verse 10. So given these wins or benefits and warnings or concerns from Peter... He's going to challenge us with an important imperative. Uh, this command is in the Eris active tense. In other words, we should have already been doing this. Or hurry up, do this now. And we're commanded 
What? Look at verse 10. We are commanded to be all the more diligent to make certain God's calling and choosing of you. And so we are to be sure, firm in this, that we are valid before God. The word translated sure, it's often a legal term in Greek literature denoting that which is valid, ratified, or confirmed. And so we observe in this verse that God's calling and God's choosing, right? These are two key elements. They're very similar. First, let's look at God's calling. It has to do with the effectual call. We all experience this when we first turn to God, right? We have this experience of effectual call. God calls us. Where do we see that? In Romans 8.30. Romans 8.30, we get this chain of salvation, right? What does Paul say there? To those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So you see the connection there? Well, here's the thing. Not everyone is effectually called. Yes, we do have the external call, the gospel call. We call all to repentance. But not everyone has this eternal call. Right? Not everyone hears Jesus' voice, the, the good shepherd. He says, I know my own and, and my own know me. And, and so where do we hear that voice? Through the word of God when it changes us. And so not everyone's effectually called. Because otherwise, everyone would be saved. But God has called his elect to salvation. We also know that he doesn't choose everyone, right? We see uh, if he chose everyone, that means everyone would be saved. But John 15, 16 tells us, you did not choose me, but I chose you to be appointed uh, to bear much fruit. I like this hymn by uh, John uh, Condor. He says, talking about election here, "'Tis not that I did not choose thee, for that could never be. This heart would still refuse thee had thou not chosen me. Thou from the sin that stained me has cleansed and set me free. Of old thou has ordained me that I shall live to thee. So why is it that we follow Christ? Why is it that we choose God? Because he chose us. Ultimately, that's why we are living for Christ. Because he chose us before the foundation of the world, if you read Ephesians 1.5. An example of how not everyone's chosen is uh, Judas, right? We know Judas wasn't chosen for salvation. But that shouldn't discourage us. God's calling and election or choosing should motivate us to evangelize. There are some that have not yet been saved. Why do you think Christ has not returned yet, right? And he probably has many in Port Washington that need to hear the gospel. And so we know that Peter preached the gospel to his audience. The issue at hand is not looking for a big E that stands for elect on a person's back. No, Peter's point in sharing about God's calling and election is that there are some that are deceived, right? They think they're God's elect. They're acting like they're God's elect, maybe, uh, saying, yes, I'm saved. I know the Bible. I know the gospel. But they really aren't living like they do. Something is not right. And so what does Peter call the imperative? To be diligent. We already saw this word in 2 Peter 1.5. Now for this reason, applying all diligence, right? Talking about making sure faith is supplied. Here, it's an imperative though. He's saying, do this. Be diligent. Give it your great effort. He's calling for us to do our best. And don't get it twisted. 
We are not to give it our best shot to be saved. We would fail every time. No, we're called to make sure we are saved. Right? We are called to this very important topic of assurance or, or making sure we are truly saved. What's more important than salvation if you really think about it right now, beloved? You can have a nice house. You can have a, a beautiful spouse. You can have the 401k, successful kids, life insurance, the shiny cars. But if you're not saved, what do you really have? You have nothing. Without Christ, your life would be pointless. And so Peter brings our attention to salvation. If you know this is the most important matter in your life, you're going to take it seriously. You wouldn't play with this. You would be all in. And so you would, you, you would think of it this way. Many of us make much effort to get up in the morning to make it to work on time. We give it much effort to make sure our kids are doing the right thing. We, we give it our all in college to make sure we have a good career. We are diligent when it comes to our appearance, and we're determined to make more money so we stay for overtime and work hard, work hard. But are we diligent to make sure our faith is certain? We should be. And so let's do that. Let's make sure our faith is certain. There shouldn't be any doubt in our hearts that we're saved if we're looking to Christ for salvation, if we understand the gospel. We're not like the Roman Catholic, the Muslim, the Jehovah Witness, the Mormon, who's wondering at night, man, I don't know if I'm good enough. Uh, Let's say I die right now and, you know, in my sleep. I don't know if I'm good enough to make it to heaven. No. Our assurance is in Jesus. He is enough. What he did at the cross is enough. He paid for all of our sins in full. And so you can say, I've been cleansed. I can rejoice. Good night. You sleep on the pillow. But maybe you're not sure. You're not certain. How can he be sure of his calling and choosing of you? Let me give you two ways. For starters, you need to hear the gospel. You need to understand the gospel. In other words, Savior proclamation. The Savior must be proclaimed. Do you believe that Christ died for you and rose again on the third day? Have you confessed your sins to him? Have you repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus alone? If yes, the next step is self-examination. We should see a difference in our lives. If I told you I was a police officer, you would expect me to stop crime and follow the law. Well, if I told you I was a Christian, why wouldn't I be expected to stop sinful patterns in my life and to follow the law of love? Now, I'm not saying we're going to be perfect, we're never going to sin, we're always going to love others perfectly. We know that the Christian life will be a process, right? We'll be sanctified until the day of Christ's return. But the point is that we're going to be a new person with holy desires. If we have been transformed from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Christ, we're going to act like it. And so let me remind you that this is God's calling and election, right? It's all by God's grace. I didn't get myself called or elected. It was God doing the calling and the choosing. We see in 1 Peter, why don't you turn there, 1 Peter 2, 9. Went over this a couple of weeks ago. Blessing there. First Peter 2.9, talking about God's election. Look what Peter says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I like both elements here, the chosen race and you've been called out of darkness. And so given this truth, that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, it should humble us and cause us to proclaim the Savior of the world to the rest of the world. If we're going to be diligent to make faith certain, we will partake in self-examination and Savior proclamation. And so we observe these two ways of making faith certain in these verses here in 2 Peter. So maybe you have that question. I don't know, Pastor Kevin, how do I know that I'm God's elect? Peter gives us the answer. Look at the end of verse 10 of 2 Peter. So it says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things. What things? What is he referring to here? Don't forget the checklist. Let me remind you, we need to do some self-examination. Are we growing or practicing love? Are you growing or practicing brotherly kindness, godliness, perseverance, self-control, knowledge, and moral excellence? The word for practice here is simply doing. But the translators here paint the picture for us nicely. A Christian will be constantly doing these things. This should be the norm to love others, to be godly, to have self-control, and so on. But for the unbeliever, the norm would be to practice lawlessness. And so I want to give you another checklist. This one's a negative checklist. So turn with me to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 19. Um, Very crucial for us to see this checklist here. Maybe you identify with this one a little bit more. Galatians 5, 19. It states here, Now the deeds of the flesh are evidence, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So the checklist could have kept going, right? If you didn't hear a certain sin on that checklist, it's still a sin. And so there are many sins. But look at this key phrase in Galatians 5. Look what he says here. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice or they keep doing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so those that do not have the Spirit of God are going to continue living this sinful lifestyle. There's not going to be any change. You know, if I said um, that I just got hit by a truck uh, going 100 miles per hour, you would say, wait, what? You look perfectly fine, of course. As As a believer, if you have been truly transformed, there will be a difference. And I'm not saying in appearance, but in character. And so we know that those, and if you look at Galatians 5, those who practice such things, their conclusion is that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ultimately, because they do not know God. And then in verse 10, Peter also explains that those who are really God's elect will not be practicing these things that we just mentioned. They will be characterized by a life of holiness. Now, another key feature there, at the end of verse 10, what does Peter say? You will never stumble. Now, to stumble, it's another way of saying to practice sin. We see this word stumble um, in other verses, like James chapter 2, verse 10, 
Uh, you stumble in one point, you have broken all the law, right? Uh, so it's talking about breaking God's law. It's talking about sin. Then in Jude 24, uh, also talking about stumbling there, it has this idea of not falling away, not becoming an apostate, right? And so true believers will never live a lifestyle of sin. But yes, hold up, Christians can still sin, right? The, the, the difference here is that they're never going to turn away from God and go back to their old sinful habits, right? That would just mean they were never true Christians, right? They were never really changed. I like how John puts it in uh, 1 John two nineteen. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, right? If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, right? Perseverance of the saints there. But they went out so that they would be shown that they all are not of us, right? I mean, if we maybe put some statistics here, who knows? Uh, you know, don't like to think about this, but we got to think about it. Let's say you have uh, 50 people in the room, 50% of them saved? 30% of them saved? We would like all of us, obviously, to be saved in this room, but let's keep it real. They are not, it's very unlikely that all of us in this room are saved. And so that's why we have these type of messages. We, we want to make sure that your faith is certain. Now, talking about, um, you know, uh, there are not many that are true, saved, and, and, you know, people that have seemed to fall away. I mean, nowadays people are calling it, like, uh, deconversion or whatnot. The truth is, people do not lose their salvation, right? God has them in their hand, and they'll, he'll never let them go if you're truly saved. However, it reveals that they were never saved to begin with. And so how can we make sure our faith is certain? We need to examine our lives. Uh, we need to take a really good look at ourselves. Have you changed? If someone gave you a grapefruit and said, it's an orange, and you say to them, uh, no, 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 excuse me, this is a grapefruit, they might argue and say, no, 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 it's an orange. So how do you prove it? Well, you tell them to take a bite out of it. They eat the grapefruit and they notice the difference. It's not sweet like an orange. Beloved, when others meet you, they shouldn't experience a sour person. They should be able to tell there's something different about you. You have this sweet love, gentleness, and lowliness like your Savior, Jesus Christ. They should be able to tell that you've been changed. You aren't like the world. You don't practice the sins that they commit. But rather, you live by the Spirit. And I'll give you one last checklist. So if you're still there in Galatians, look at Galatians 5.22. doing some self-examination now. Galatians 5.22, a beautiful list here of the fruit of the Spirit. It reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe if we did a checklist again, how are you doing there? Joy, peace, love, patience, kindness. Check, check, check. And so it's so important to do some self-examination because if you really do have the Spirit of God, you will see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And so let's say we, we've confirmed our calling and election, right? You know you're different. You want to live for Christ. You're practicing love, brotherly kindness, godliness, and so on. What comes after self-examination? Savior proclamation. Look at verse 11 again of Second Peter. Peter again reminds us of the ultimate prize. Verse 11. 
For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. And so, yes, we're talking about salvation, but more importantly, it's about an eternity with Jesus, right? We we always like to talk about salvation like it's a get-out-of-hell-free card. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. No, it's about access with Jesus, the one you love forever. Uh, Maybe uh, you love your spouse or a friend and you just want to be with them forever. You should have that for Jesus. I want to be with you forever. If you don't have that, that's concerning because there's nothing better. Maybe you get happy when you look at, at the past of, oh yeah, I remember when I got engaged. I remember that wedding day. And maybe you even have a great marriage right now. Praise the Lord, of course. But there's a wedding in the future that is a million times better. The future marriage with Christ is going to be perfect. And so in verse 11, we observe here, the beauty of being one of God's elect or his bride is that we have entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus. Peter, in the Greek here, starts in this way, right? Believers who are living in holiness, they're growing, they're supplying faith. In this way, we know that they will reap great riches. Peter insisted that people cannot enter God's kingdom without living a godly life. But this is not salvation by works, this is salvation with works. And so here we see uh, richly, this key word here, or abundantly, it's a reminder that all Christians are rich, right? I'm not talking about worldly possessions or your bank accounts. Uh, I'm talking about spiritual blessings. And so the word richly or abundantly is referring to the manner of how the entrance of God's kingdom will be supplied to us, right? We have this future passive indicative, the word supplied here, and that's a promise that we can hold to, right? It is going to happen. God will provide access to his kingdom to all his children. We will be with the king of kings. Now, I'm not saying we, we be prideful and dress fancy like a prince. I'm saying we can walk around with confidence that God is on our side and we have nothing to fear. You are on the same team as Christ and he promises victory, right? Just imagine in a war and, and you're going out for battle and, and you know it's going to be tough. You're, you're scared maybe, you're frightened, But what if I told you, don't worry, you'll be fine. I can guarantee that you'll be protected. Victory is coming. Well, that should motivate you and and help you in confidence. Exactly. As a believer, that should be true of all of us. Our faith should increase even when we're attacked because we know that one day we will dwell with God forever. We will see him face to face. He will welcome us with open arms. And, and, you know, God, he's not surprised uh, when you enter into heaven. He's not saying, wow, you made it. Congratulations. No, he knows who he has chosen. He has been helping you and guiding you every step of the way in this Christian walk. His grace is what is going to get you to the finish line. And so may we remember that as believers, we receive much more than we ever deserve. We get to be a part of a kingdom that is eternal, now, we can't even understand that in our finite minds. 1 John 3 tells us that when Christ appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is, right? So we're going to have a glorified body. We're no longer going to be able to sin, and that marriage is going to be perfect, just like God planned. I have one more passage here I want us to look at. Look at Ephesians 5, 25. 
Earlier I mentioned purification, cleansing. Now I'm talking about salvation. Ephesians 5 kind of ties it up. I like it. Did talk about marriage recently. I want to focus in on a different element here. Look at Ephesians 5.25. So yes, we know the part. Usually we know this part. Husband, love your wives. But look, look at here. Look at the example of Christ. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that, why, why? He might sanctify her, there it is, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Very key here for us to understand this. Beloved, the only reason we have access to God's eternal kingdom is because of Jesus. It's because of the Savior, the one who rescued us from our own sins, the one who died so we can be set free. The Lord Jesus is who we proclaim. We can rely on him. And so how do we know our faith is certain? Because we know Jesus. We know what he has done for us, and we can't stop telling the world that Jesus saves, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so, beloved, we have it all. When the trials come, when sadness starts to grow, remember, we're going to be okay because we have Christ. We have joy even when everything on this earth seems to grow dim. We have a way. We have an entrance into the eternal kingdom. One last thing, observation here from 2 Peter. Uh, this contrast that we see here is vivid, right? Uh, recently we preached in the Psalms and we saw the wicked and the wise or righteous. Here we see another contrast. There are those that have forgotten the provision of God through Christ. And then there are those that remember the provision of God in Christ and they have this future provision of God when Christ returns. So in conclusion, we learn that we're called to be diligent in confirming our salvation. We do this in two ways, by self-examination and Savior proclamation. After we confirm our salvation, it means two benefits or wins. We are deemed useful and fruitful, right? We can see, we're not blind, we remember the gospel. And what does that mean? We are going to inherit the kingdom of God. We are deemed as fruitful bearing Christians. But if we continue living in sin, Peter's two concerns or warnings were that you're actually blind, right? You have forgotten the gospel. You are useless or unfruitful. And so that means you will not inherit God's kingdom. That would make you a false blind convert. And so I want us to end with these two questions. Are you relying on the Lord? If so, your faith should be growing. You should be involved in Savior proclamation. Do you tell others about Jesus? I mean, you, you found the bread. Well, Christ gave you the bread. And, and you see someone begging. They're starving and hungry. How could you just, no, nah, I'm good. I'll eat the bread myself. No, you would share it with that person. But if you're not relying on the Lord, I think this is the better question. Are you really a Christian? There should be fruit in your life as you do self-examination, right? Do you see love, brotherly kindness, godliness, perseverance, self-control, knowledge, and moral excellence in your faith? You should if God has truly changed you. 
One of the best things that you can find out about a friend is that they're real. They're honest. They say they are who they say they are. And we know that one friend that all believers have that has never let them down is Jesus. And so turn to him today if your faith isn't certain. He can change you. And if your faith is certain, thank him. Rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.